0: Hello welcome to How to Write a Play. I'm Alex. I work for the Old Fire Station Art Centre in Oxford and we're currently running a playwriting course with Triple Olivier Award winner Mike Bartlett. Stay tuned for Mike's advice, writing tips, writing exercises, answers to questions from listeners and our thoughts on the theatre world in 2023. Today we're talking about how theatres are ghosting playwrights and what course session are we doing today?
1: Well we're starting today. So today's the first session. We're going to meet our writers. So I thought it appropriate that we would talk about how you start and the sort of blocks that you get when you start. So we're going to look at some exercises about how you might overcome those blocks and also where plays come from. So we're going to talk about that. That's the headline.
0: Excellent. Um, so how this is going to work is I'm going to give us a little update on what's happening at the Old Fire Station because we're not just a podcast, we are a place. Then we're going to look at this week's news topic and then I'm going to ask Mike what we're covering in the course, any writing exercises and I have some questions from listeners as well. This week at the Old Fire Station we have 24-23-22 on the 3rd of May which is a gig theatre piece from a group called chronic insanity coming up on wednesday and that promises scuzzy beats and the reversal of the flow of time so it's a romance story gig theater romance story that is told backwards um, and fun fact chronic insanity is a company that our very own hannah Gallardo parsons editor of this podcast is part of um on friday the 5th of may we have our very first art friday on gloucester green what is an art friday on gloucester green i hear you ask
1: What's an art Friday on Gloucester Green?
0: <laughs> um, it is a uh, so basically we have Gloucester Green Market. Yeah, we the building, the old fire station are right next to Gloucester Green. We back out onto it, and we and the market managers, LSD Promotions, have been trying to work out how we can make Gloucester Green Market a more cool and arty and cultural place. Uh, and one of the ways we do that is at offbeat festival every year. We do kind of cool theatre pieces and yeah. interactive things, and. Between offbeats, we've decided to do the first Friday of every month. We will go out there with as many independent artists as we can find, uh, and as many cultural venues as we can find. And there will be artwork sold, and you can come and get some tickets and find out what's happening in the city. Amazing! So it's going to be very That's very great. nice. It's going to be fun. Um, and we also have this week mitigating circumstances, which is a brand new play from a local theatre company. is about children, and they come. One of them comes to school, and someone's died. Uh, and he's feeling like his his tragedy is the mm. most important thing and then someone come someone else comes into school his like nemesis comes into school and someone in their family has also died and it mm. becomes this weird like grief contest and in other news we are hiring we are looking for an exhibition technician and by the time you hear this we will be looking for a new ceo so if you are interested in either fitting up our exhibitions or running an arts centre that is also a charity, please look on our website, oldfirestation.org.uk forward slash vacancies. So I have a news topic for us, Mike. The Stager reported at the Future of Theatre Conference, David Eldridge, the playwright, read an anonymous letter from another playwright saying that they were being ignored by a theatre for whom they were developing a play. And the stage said the writer said they had received positive feedback and encouragement following a R and d process with a venue, but then received no communication for almost a year, despite repeated attempts to make contact. And they compared it to being ghosted after a date. And the Writers Guild was asked for comment by the stage and said it was frequently contacted by writers in similar situations. So, and then lots of writers on Twitter, like Tim Crouch and various other people, have come out and said the same thing, that they've had exactly the same experience. So, I wanted to ask you number one, what would your advice be for writers in that situation? And number two, what does a good relationship look like to you between a playwright and a venue?
1: Well, I mean, it is all about the relationship, isn't it? And I think the problem, one of the problems is that for whatever reason, I think some theatres do take on too many relationships with writers. I think they have so much obviously there are a lot of people wanting their plays and a lot of people wanting that relationship and so the theatres want to try and respect that and engage with as many writers as possible unfortunately it's quite time consuming to engage with the writer properly and to really get into their play and to read it properly and not to just do lip service but to to work on it and work on it in a way that they might produce it so some theatres and you know I've certainly experienced this are developing too many different plays, given how many slots they've actually got to produce. And I think that comes out of the individuals wanting to do well by the writers, and it comes out of the theatre wanting to encourage writers. But the problem is you then end up with a lot of writers being encouraged, and then the play doesn't go on, or they, as it sounds like here, they, they do stop contact. And it reflects a difficult truth, doesn't it, really, which is the number of people wanting to write plays and the number of opportunities to get plays on. And that's very hard. It's very hard and it's very sort of, you could say, competitive. And it's difficult for theatres who want to both be realistic with writers but also want to encourage them. But I think it's really key that if a theatre engaged with a writer, they stay engaged with the writer. And I think at the heart of it, the best relationships I've had, both with the um, back in the day at the Royal Court and then at Headlong with Rupert Gould, what they both made really clear when we started was they were engaging with me as a writer. They weren't engaging with only just one play. So this was a, this was, if we're going to take the dating analogy and why not, um, this was a long-term relationship. It wasn't a date. It was, it was, we, we see potential and we're interested not just in this play, but the next one and potentially the next one. So if they lost contact for a year, that would, that would be awful. Why would they do that if they're interested in you as a writer? So I think that, for me, is at the core of this, is that theatres and literary managers and directors should be looking beyond a single play to what's the potential of this writer over their career. And they should be investing a little bit more in, in maybe fewer writers, but over a longer term. Because sometimes a writer does a great first play and then they don't do such a good second play, but their third or fourth is incredible. They need a bit of long-term investment and that would solve this, I think. But yeah, I think the other thing is it just reflects it's a really, not to be negative, but it's a really hard time at the moment. Theatres don't have money. They've got, they're still programming shows that they want to do before COVID. And so there's not that many slots and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's hard for everyone at the moment.
0: And what to you would that, like, imagine you're creating from the ground up your perfect new writing theatre. What would that be? Look like to you, like how how would playwrights be developed, and what would how many plays would you get done? What do what do you think?
1: Well, I think there's a benefit, which is sort of why we're doing this course as well. To I think there's there's a joy in writing plays. I think a bit like um, Stephen Fry wrote a great book on poetry on how to write poetry, which I found really useful because I didn't get into poetry at school, and so I read this much later in life. And one of the things he talks about is just the joy of writing it for yourself, whether or not you show anybody whether or not you you know, you know have any success in inverted commas, there is a joy to simply engage in the art of writing poetry and learning. It. And through writing it, you also learn to read it better. And I think the same is absolutely true of playwriting. So I think my ideal theatre would absolutely encourage people of all sorts to write plays and learn about how they work and enjoy writing them. And then and understand they might never get them performed, they might never want to, they might do them in their local amateur group, in their town community, or they might want to try and do it professionally. But that wouldn't necessarily be the end game and then at every stage as you perhaps got more professional you would be very very clear on what the chances of getting a play on were and and you would just have an eye on I suppose on on how many writers you engage and I've always felt that theatres should have a um if they can afford it in a new writing theatres they should have at least a writer on salary you know I used to walk around and David Eldridge, I'm sure, has said something very similar to this. I think we've all had this experience as writers, is you walk around new writing theatres and there'd be, they'd be employing 50 people, not a single writer. And, and you'd think, but writer's no different to any other job. A salary is worth so much, the security of having a year's income. You know what you're doing and you can stop all the other work and commit to that. And I think that's also relevant for diversity and getting different sorts of writers because if you're on a lower income it's going to obviously be harder to write so a a set salary would be worth even more to someone who comes from a lower income background so that's what i would do but you know as i say it's very hard at the moment There's, there's no money it's very difficult all those sorts of things apply but what i hope with this course and indeed with this podcast is that we can say let's write plays for us now let's enjoy the imaginative experience of what could we put on stage and let's explore the craft at the moment. Let's just leave whether they're going to go on or not to a later date and just get as good as we can at it, enjoy it like a hobby, enjoy it like an interest and a passion, make a little pocket of space to go what could happen on the page, what could happen in the theatre and the joy of that.
0: Tell me why you wanted to do this course because you came to – it was your idea, I think, to come to us and do a course – with us is this something you've always wanted to do uh
1: yeah, yeah. i've, I've I mean I've taught courses in the past. I think I just felt like i did a I did a course with Hampstead theater in twenty twenty one sort of sort of in lockdown like we did it on zoom and and what I felt was it was really great to sort of um reach out and connect people and I really missed that community of theater of of meeting other writers and artists and people and chatting about theater and moaning about theater and all that sort of stuff. Um, we obviously couldn't do it for such a long time. And even over Zoom, it was felt like this was really important. And I remember doing the Young Writers Programme at the Royal Court, like a couple of courses there. And part of it was, a large part of it was just meeting other writers and forming a community and the shared experience of learning together. Not necessarily sharing your work, but just meeting people who had the same interests as yours and having a space where you could both explore your writing and learn. And I just think given that we've been through COVID, given that finances are hard for everybody and given that it's, it is really hard to get a play on at the moment. Cause, cause not only is theatre struggling generally, but even within theatre and even before COVID, playwriting was not at its peak. To some extent we've lost, Hampstead have lost funding, Hampstead theatre. So we're not quite sure what's happening there, but to some extent a lot of the theatres have struggled even before COVID to put new plays on and to, for new plays to have an impact. And then COVID happened. So I sort of think the only way to re-establish the place of new writing is ultimately going to be for writers to write plays, which cannot be ignored, which have amazing ideas, either coming from experience or coming from what people see in the world or coming just from their imagination. That's what's going to really fire up new writing. It's just that the writers writing plays of that just astound us and are provocative and interesting and, and entertaining and all those sorts of things. So I was really excited to to get a group of playwrights together of all different experiences and just meet for 10 weeks and um, explore that together.
0: So what are you covering this week?
1: So, uh, th- yeah, this week we're covering how how to start and where plays come from. So Sarah Kane... used to say that plays come from three places, and I've always thought of this. She said that they come from your own personal experience, they come from what you see in the world, the outside world, and they come from your imagination. And a good play is a blend of those three things, and that plays often go wrong when they tip too much into one of those three. So they tip too much into the outside world, but they don't relate to your own personal experience. They're too much imagination, but they're not enough connected to the world. And I've always thought that that's certainly for me, that's true. So I wanted to do an exercise, which I've done in workshops before, and it kind of is jumping in at the deep end, is um we're going to put people in pairs and they're going to be given very big bits of paper, which we're going to sellotape together. And then they're going to draw around the body. So they have a sort of, you know, as if they've died, basically, um, a sort of outline of their body. And then on the inside of that, for every year that they've been alive, they're going to write something which is a personal memory. And they obviously don't have to write it in detail, but it just needs to be a keyword for them, or it can be a drawing, something that reminds them of that memory for every year they've been alive. On the outside, they're going to write something that happened in the world for every year. So you end up with a sort of picture of yourself in a way. And part of this is not just what you end up with, but it's the process of trying to remember both who you are and the world that you've lived through over your whole life. And then we're going to sit Looking at that imaginatively, come up with ideas that might connect through the outside world and your own personal experiences into some imagined play. And we're going to write 10, 15 ideas for a play. If you want to do this at home, you don't need three pieces of large paper or indeed a friend to draw around your body, but you can if you want an interesting evening. Um, you can just draw a picture of yourself on a a line. Imagine what your body might look like on the page and do the same exercise or indeed just do it as two lists. But as I say, the process of this is really important because often you kind of go, you've blurred areas of your life together. You sort of go, well, that was my university time. But actually taking the time to go, well, what happened in that year and what happened in the next year is it it really helps you to sort of understand your development of yourself as you go. And that's fascinating. And, And I think LinkedIn with all of this today is going to be trying to convey a sense of it doesn't matter what you put on the page. You can always never show it to anybody. You can th- always throw it in the bin if you want. You can cross it out. No one ever needs to see anything you ever write. The most important thing is to just learn how to write freely and more subconsciously. So hopefully this exercise will do that. Also today, I'm going to do an exercise which is called The Morning Pages. And this comes from a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, which is a bit Hollywood. It's a bit Hollywood, probably a bit dated and certainly to the British taste, there's quite a bit of God.
0: It's a bit eat, pray, love.
1: It's a bit eat, pray, love. Yeah. And she, she says she talks about God, but she doesn't need to mean God to you. But, you know, you have to sort of get through that. But there's some interesting stuff in it. And what she particularly good is good at is getting over your block. Like if you're an art, artist and you're, what's blocking you. And anyway, these, the main thing I got from it was these morning pages, which is the idea is you just write three A4 pages and your pen has to keep moving. And you do this every single morning. You sit down and you write your morning pages, which is three pages of just automatic writing. And I found this really useful, actually, because apart from anything else, what it can do is, before you start writing proper, your head can be full of all sorts of like mundane things about your life, frustrations and things bothering you, whatever, and you just get them all out on the page. And often you get to the end of the second page and you've already written all the annoying real-life things out, but you've got to keep writing the third page and then you get into something creative and perhaps a bit more interesting or about yourself, and then you're into it. And it also shows that you can write three pages of A4, all those words, in about 15 minutes. And that's always been part of my philosophy, which is just write, just write every day. You could write, it might not be good, but you could write 10 pages of dialogue every single day of your life. And the chances are, if you did, some of it would be good. You just need to find the good bits in that. So I think that's what, I want to do today is to free up the idea that you need to sit around and have some genius idea before you're allowed to put a word down on the page. You don't. You just need to write. You need to explore through writing, whether that's automatic, whether that's having two characters starting to talk to each other, um, just a moment in your head and then you, you go and it, and, and you just start a bit of dialogue and you explore. And I think. That freedom to explore is one of the great things about playwriting as opposed to perhaps screenwriting or other forms of writing which require a bit more planning. A lot of the greatest plays ever written were written by a writer who just started. Most Harold Pinter plays were written like that. Private Lives is on at the moment at the Donmar and the first act of that, I think, was just written by him just starting to write some dialogue for him and his favourite actor that he wants to play the scene with um and you can sort of tell it's got a freedom and it's got a fluidity and a kind of improvised quality that means the writing isn't trying to do anything than what it's doing right now in the moment because there isn't any more to it than that and i think there's something in the theater that's you feel you can feel that liveness and Sometimes it leads to dialogue and lines and moments that feel completely original and true. If you'd planned them, you would probably base them on other things you'd seen. But if you're just improvising dialogue and improvising stuff in the moment, you're far more likely to get something that's no one's ever seen before because it's as as, it's potentially random and rich as real life. So that's really all we're doing today. Is we're going to try and sort of break the ice and get everybody relaxed and, and writing.
0: And are you going to ask them to read their writing out in front of the whole class? No, at the
1: end? no, we're not. I don't, I don't think we're going. I don't think we're going to share anything. That feels for, really mean. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I don't. I mean, I don't think we're going to share anything unless people want to. And I don't. And certainly not for you know a little while.
0: So I have some questions from listeners. Listeners, please do send us your questions to info at oldfirestation.org.uk and I will ask them to you, Mike. So the first one I have is from Tamsin in Oxford. How did you first start writing?
1: That's a good question. I I didn't want I didn't think I was gonna be a writer. I thought I was going to be um I acted at school and I wanted to be a director at first. Once I realised I wasn't gonna be an actor. I thought a director is the person who holds all the power, so I'll do that. But then it turned out I wasn't um, – to be a director, you sort of have to walk into a room with nothing and persuade everyone that you're brilliant. And I didn't really have that skill. So and then I did a bit of assisting directing and had some meetings with people to try and get work, but it wasn't really going anywhere. So I was stuck at home and I thought – and I'd written bits and pieces of plays before this and I just thought, well, I'll write a play – and suddenly I wrote it, and I was having the meetings with some of the same people, but I was walking in confident because it wasn't about me. It was about the collection of pages on the desk. And suddenly I was much more confident. And I realised that's that was my way into theatre-making. I mean, I think of myself as a theatre-maker, really, and that's always been what I've been interested in, is is the whole craft of making theatre, design and publicity and acting and, and stagecraft and all of that stuff I feel I love and love all of it. But the way I get into it, for me, is through writing i think that's true of a lot of theater makers is they take a little while to find often we all think we're actors and then we find i find i couldn't learn my lines or make anyone believe that i was telling the truth so you then find your way in don't you but i I, people come to writing through all sorts of places and i think i think the thing i also the other thing just to say is that i didn't know anyone in theater at all like I read books, and they'd say, "Well, go through all your contacts and find someone who's related to that world." And I did, and I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody in my family or friends who was in any way related to art at all. And so i I did, I did a course at university in theatre. I wrote a play and wrote bits and sent it off to the theatres and and tried to get them to meet me. And it was just through that, really. So, and I was very lucky that they did read them and did meet me. So, you know, in reference to the earlier point. I feel it's really important to call out bad practice on the part of theatres, but I also, there's a bit of me which also is so grateful for new writing theatres and to have unsolicited script. I think that's so important that anybody can send a script in. You know, I know it's a lot of work and there's a lot of reading required, but it's the biggest access thing you can do and it's the biggest gesture you can do to the country to say basically anybody could write a play and put and send it to us and we would value it. Because I I didn't know anyone in theatre or art at all but if if no one had been open, the do- if the doors hadn't been open, it would have felt completely like a a closed shop. So I'm really in favour of the theatres keeping those doors open too because it just encourages people to think that they might want to write a play.
0: Mark asks, do you start with characters or story?
1: Well, we will come on to this, but I start with... Well, with... with um, well, probably story after those two, definitely story, but it's normally story and form at the same time. So it's going, what's this about? And, and what's the person going to do to start the story? But also then what is the form? So is it a, is it like a hot cock fight or is it like a, I am a pentameter, like a Shakespeare play? That sort of formal thing tends to happen at the same time as the story. So I know not only sort of roughly how it's going to start and what's going to happen, but also what the shape of the evening is going to be. And for some reason, I need those, both those things to get me up and writing with it. If it's just the story, then and it just feels like a normal play with no rules of the game. I find it drifts a bit. So I need to know, you know, like any board game, I suppose, you need to know what the rules are or you can't enjoy it. And it's the same for me. I sort of need to get the rules. But we'll come on to that I think, later, I think.
0: Our last question comes from Miriam. It is a question of three parts. How many drafts of a play do you do? How wildly different are they from each other? And how do you know when to stop?
1: It completely changes. This is the answer no one wants to hear. My play Cock is pretty much a first draft. Like there was editing. I wrote it quite quickly and then there was editing after that. But once I got to the point where I was like, I think this is the play as a first draft, that is pretty much the play. And I've tried to edit it to make it better and I can't. I've tried to fix bits. And whenever I fix bits, we go into rehearsal and then the actors go, this bit isn't working. And then we end up reverting back to what it was. it was. It was obviously a sort of moment that the play was written in. On the other hand, there were plays like that I wrote, like Earthquakes in London, which went through hundreds of drafts, hundreds and hundreds of drafts, like before rehearsals and then in rehearsals, constantly re- redrafting, like, like a screenplay. And, you know, that's it's just the nature of what the piece of work requires and the way it's going to be made. Cock was written, it was written in a sort of moment, sort of improvised... Whereas Earthquakes in London was much more conceptual. It was like, this is the sort of play it's going to be. I planned it the evening. I planned the storylines. And so it's a much more conscious process. So I understand that that's going to take lots of drafts. But you just have to follow what the play is telling you, really, I think. Brian Friel talks about stalking a play, that you mustn't get too close because it will run away. But you also mustn't get too far away because you'll lose it. So you've got to stay just the right distance behind. I love that. It's good, isn't it? Um And then the last question was about, how do you know when it's finished? Well, I do a thing where I print it out, which is not good for the environment, but it's just the way I do it. You could probably do it. And I'm trying to move to doing it on iPad with a pencil. But you do something which means that you get away from the ritual of writing. So I write it on a computer. So the reason I print it out and then use a biro is it's a different, I can go and sit in a different chair, read it a bit fresh, and then I mark with a biro anything that's wrong with it, anything I bump on at all. And then I, as I, and I try and come up with the solution with with the biro as I'm going. I then type up those changes, then do the same process again, print it out, biro, same, 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 until I don't make any marks on the paper, and then that's at least a draft. It probably isn't finished, but it's probably as far as I can go if I can read from the beginning of the play to the end of the play and not find anything that's bothering me. That's a, good, that's a good mark. I mean, it's not foolproof. There have been plays where I've got that, and yet still I read the play and go, oh, there's something not right here. But that probably means there's something wrong with the conception of the play, that it's got as far as it can in terms of its form, but maybe there was something wrong right at the beginning and I couldn't see it until the end, which is really frustrating, <laughs> but it does happen. And I've
0: know. worked with you in rehearsals when you've changed big and small bits of dialogue So the bit i remember is in mrs delgado which was 2021 where she made a fruit cake and at first of all it had pineapple and then i think the day before the show you were like it's peas (laughs) it's definitely peas yeah and you it's down to that last those small tiny changes at the last minute
1: yeah well those are i mean you often get those with jokes and I love that craft of joke writing, that it gets a laugh, but it's not as good a laugh as you know you could get on that. So why is it not? Is it the sound of the word? Is it the rhythm of the sentence? And that sort of thing, it's hard to do without um, an audience. So you do end up making those changes in previews. But then there's also changes that actors are brilliant at. You know, there were there were two traditions that I sort of got involved with, was I went to the Royal Court, and their tradition, which is great, is you don't touch anything unless the writer absolutely consents to it. So if 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 someone says, "Oh, I'm not sure that maybe this comma is in the wrong place." And it's a sort of free time one looks at you and you go, I'll, "I'll go away, I'll go away, I'll come back next week and I'll think about that comma." You know, it's like a big deal. And I love that. You know, and what it forces you to do actually in the room is to explore what's there in the play already, to trust that the writer must have had some instinct why they wrote it like this in the first place. So actually you there's a process of really you know, deep diving into lines and and all of that text. And then I went to work with Rupert Gould at Headlong, and it was a completely different experience. Like, after three days sitting around the table, he'd open it up and go to the actors, right, so what do we think is wrong with this scene? Something's wrong with it, isn't it? What do we all think? And the actors would then just suddenly all pile in with all their thoughts. Um And working with him, he often, you know, now we've worked together enough that he'll just look across the room and do a kind of... um little smile and I know the smile means this scene isn't working is it and you need to rewrite it and both those processes are completely valid and again it's just dependent on what what the play needs and so some I rewrite a lot and some I don't touch
0: I should give us a bit of context for where we are and what we're doing here We're recording at the moment in the Old Fire Station, which is an art centre in Oxford. Uh, We're the only, as far as we know, art centre of our kind. So we are a combined art centre and homelessness centre. So we share the building, with the homelessness charity crisis, and we embed working with people who are facing homelessness and tough times at every level of our work. So we have people on our board who've experienced homelessness. We do artistic projects. Quite a lot of our volunteering cohort have experienced homelessness and some of our staff members too. We do a lot of artist support, working with communities across Oxford, helping people, making good art. So we do all sorts of stuff here at the Old Fire Station and we are recording at the moment in the meeting room of one of our offices. We are next to the busy Gloucester Green bus station. So we're not in a recording studio and you may hear occasional beeps or whistles or the oxford tube the oxford Tube. that's the bus that
1: goes from oxford to london um and we are available for sponsorship aren't we
0: yes oxford bus company please come and talk to me uh we will happily do a jingle for you anytime any local restaurants let me know alexandra coke (laughs) at oldfirestation.uk we're here that's the end of the podcast do you have anything to add any last wise word of wisdom
1: uh, I don't have any wise words of wisdom. I, I think all I'd say is that if you are listening to this podcast and you're somewhere that's not near a new writing theatre, this is really the reason for doing the podcast, actually, is that, you know, we're going to do this course here with with 20 people, but I really want to find a way of encouraging people who aren't necessarily near a new writing theatre or a theatre running a course or, for whatever reason, can't get access to that, to just start writing a play. And we're going to do this podcast every week of the course and we're going to say the exercise that we're going to do And if you are doing that somewhere and listening to this podcast and it's of value, then please do email us and let us know what's useful and what isn't and with any questions whatever. And tell us if you're starting to write and what you're writing, because I would love there to be lots of people writing plays. And as I say, I think there's such a joy to just the act of writing. So let's just start there for now and see what we can create.
0: How to Write a Play is hosted by Mike Bartlett and Alex Coke. Editing and music is by Hannah Gallardo Parsons, and it's produced by the Old Fire Station, Oxford. Please support us by giving five-star ratings and reviews wherever you get your podcasts to help us get seen by more theatre makers. This show receives no exterior funding. If you'd like to support the work of the Old Fire Station, please donate at oldfirestation.org.uk. Thank you.